the title of our service this day is called Live and Accessible, The Natural Abundance of Spiritual Wisdom, and it stands right at the heart of our progressive religious tradition and what animates Wellsprings. And this language comes particularly from this, a piece of what we call our DNA, our essence, our identity here at Wellsprings. It is the core belief that is entitled Streams of Faith. We believe that spiritual wisdom is a naturally abundant resource, as alive and accessible in our age and time as in any other. There are many streams which flow to the same ocean and many paths paved with grace and wisdom upon which to explore our faith. We will hear two people this morning who have been exploring their faith, their spirituality, growing their souls with dedication, intention, and purpose. And so first today, I invite B. Young to come forward. morning, everyone. Alive and accessible, two rather loaded words when taken in the context of Wellspring's DNA. I just love that terminology, DNA. My understanding is that I get all the bennies of Wellspring's, but in return I'm expected to show up and be alive when I do. For me, being alive has been and continues to be a process of discovery, challenge, adventure, and struggle. I have been one of those individuals who has grabbed life by the tail and hung on for the ride for many years. On the outside, I participated fully, but on the inside, I held resentments, fear, uncertainty, old messages and beliefs, guilt, anger, and thankfully, curiosity. There was indeed for me a disconnect between my spirituality and who I was meant to be. I knew the adage, God doesn't make junk, but I lived like a cast-off and saw myself that way as well. I practiced organized religion beyond the welfare of myself and my family. I spent many hours at church as a committee volunteer while my family disintegrated around me. In other words, I used my religion to avoid my life. I prayed in chains, sharing information about others that was truly none of my business and I felt good about carrying burdens of others. You could say I was other-focused at my own expense and indeed at the expense of those others. We call that codependent. That is, I need you to need me. Alan Dugan's poem about codependence speaks of his willingness to crucify himself through excess. He writes... I can nail my left palm to the left-hand cross piece, but I can't do everything myself. I need a hand to nail the right. I need a help, a love, a you, a wife. I was the wife, the partner. I needed to be liked 
so I would help you complete your destruction in order to raise my own importance. I was ugly. Today, being alive for me is allowing life to happen. I believe I am a being who accepts life and life's meanderings, knowing more fully today what I did not know in prior years, that life is full of gifts camouflaged as trials. Sometimes in expressing exasperation at a person who appears to be uncommitted or downright stubborn, I add that somewhere, someone could be saying the same thing about me. By that I mean that I have come to realize those difficult people are on my path, however briefly or however long, to mirror the needs that I need to see in myself, the things I need to see in myself. How am I uncommitted? In what ways am I stubborn and controlling? If I were neither of those things, the other person would not tweak me so much. People who confront me about my own stuff are gifts I can choose to open in order to learn the things I am here to learn. Being alive is essential, but being accessible to life is the key that unlocks the fullness of life. Forgive me if I speak in we, but um, I'm taking license here to do that. So you can debate me after the service. (laughs) I question, am I accessible to the spirit of humanity? Am I in the flow of life force? Do I feel the human condition? And more importantly, do I actively seek to feel the human condition? The golden rule states, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Taking it a step further, I ask myself, Can I do unto others as I would do for myself? At Wellsprings, we are expected to jump into the flow of life, to experience what it is to seek, to learn, to stretch and grow, and to develop interdependencies with each other and those around us. Wellsprings' expectations were formed over at least a two-year span of what I call genome mapping, For Wellsprings, this outlook and outreach is not accidental. It is deliberate, intentional, life-affirming. My understanding is that we believe in the continuum of spiritual connectedness. We are not simple recipients of prior knowledge and awareness, but rather we are vessels of our own understandings and wholeness. We seek to join the river of spiritual aliveness and by so doing, raise the level of the river as we flow with and within it. My DNA is Wellspring's DNA. I have opened myself to adventure, change, and transition. I am in the stream. Recently, I moved from a tiny home in Westchester to a spacious home in Coatesville. I left my little multicultural neighborhood with its library, town center, YMCA, historical society, parks, shops, and restaurants, all within easy walking distance of my home. I left friends and acquaintances, familiar landmarks, salsa music when I trimmed my hedges, spreading sycamores that in some years hailed shards of bark the size of cookie sheets and even the town's peeping Tom. 
<laughs> there were drug busts only a block away from my home, pilfered lawn equipment, nearby house fires, midnight emergencies, and an occasional dog attack. I would have not traded those 13 years that I lived there for all the teeth in China. Or is it tea in China? Anyway. I learned how to grieve in that little house, how to step out, how to really look into the eyes of another and see the human being, perhaps for the first time. It was my opportunity to experience being alive in all its messiness. And by experience, I mean not skimming across the river of life like a flat, cold stone, but sinking into life and being pulled along by it, no longer resisting, but accepting and allowing. I sucked in the freshness of bumping into neighbors literally and figuratively. My lungs filled with discovery and hope. I wanted more, but I wasn't sure what that meant. I chose to live in a mature adults community in Valley Township where dogs leave their marks in piles just like before. Neighbors watch out for each other. There are midnight emergencies, deaths, and conflicts happening all around me. My search for the next adventure has led me to my new neighborhood and here to this congregation of seekers. What is it we seek? I submit it is spiritual connectedness because we know without it, I lost my place. <laughs> I submit it is spiritual connectedness because we know without it, we are merely spectators. We want more. By being here and committing to our core beliefs, we are saying to ourselves and to each other that we intend to and are developing spiritual practice. For me, that means I'm allowing myself to be guided toward a committed, regular discipline that I believe will ensure my life and participation in it. My spiritual practice is a work in progress, and I know that you expect it of me and of yourselves. It's kind of the helix that configures our DNA. I just want to thank you for allowing me to share my perspective with you today. Um, I have felt welcomed and loved here, and my commitment to you is that I choose to pay it forward and to other seekers because that is what I and we are all about. Thank you. First of all, thanks, B. That was really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and Ken, thanks for the opportunity to share with the community this morning. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be here before you. I'm probably going to be a little bit more, how shall I say it, pedantic. Um, and I really appreciate that B focused on the alive and accessible part because I want to talk about the natural abundance of spiritual wisdom. What does that mean? What does it mean to me? What does it mean for us, how we live our lives? And I think we heard in what B had to say the implications the content of that natural abundance for all of us. But I'd like, if you, if you don't mind, to go into that in a little more detail. First of all, let me kind of start with a personal story and why, like B, I'm here at Wellsprings. And I, and I don't want to make this talk about Wellsprings, but I think there's something important to say. I remember being in fourth grade, and in fourth grade I made a major transition in my life. I went from a Catholic school to a public school. 
And for the first time, I was sitting at lunch with Protestants and Jews. And I didn't really, I had to wrestle with the idea that either they're not going to heaven or I've got something all messed up. I don't know what I'm doing. I was struggling with this at a very emotional, intuitive level, not at an intellectual level in any way. But I began to struggle, the exploration at the age of nine, to, to figure out how do we all get along and why don't we just all get along? Why is there some common ground that we can come to, some common understanding? Um, and I think this, this core belief is the essence of that. That's the solution for me. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm committed to what we're doing here. But um, beyond that, um, you know, what I see is that this spiritual wisdom that is referred to in this phrase here is natural. What does that mean? For me, it means it's a birthright. It's something we come into this world with. It's something we have inside ourselves, each and every one of us. It's organic. It is present for us. In addition... Further, beyond the fact that it's organic and it's natural, is that it is abundant. It is always present. It is inexhaustible. Continually renewed and refreshed by our own activity, our own investigation, our own curiosity, our own searching, as B has shared with us. This is what charges my soul. This is what gives me hope for the future. That little fourth grader still inside of me wondering, you know, how the hell are we going to make it through? When we wake up uh, Christmas morning and we see that somebody was trying to blow up an airplane, potentially for religious reasons, it makes me continue to worry. And I want that person to understand this message. But what about spiritual wisdom? What's that about? We can, natural and abundant, that's pretty obvious, I think. But what does it mean? What is spiritual wisdom really? And I, I actually have gotten some inspiration from a book I've begun reading, and I'm going to share some of it with you. And in this book, it's by Karen Armstrong. Some of you may have heard of Karen Armstrong. She's written on religion for years. She has a recent book out called The Case for God. And it's a, I haven't gotten through the whole book, but in one chapter, she focuses on the Greeks, Greek philosophers, and one in particular that I'm sure you're all familiar with, Socrates. And I think, you know, like I said, I was going to be pedantic, so this is the pedantic part. <laughs> um, let me just read a quote from the book because I think uh, it has something important to say to us about how Socrates lived his life and what it means in terms of spirit, what spiritual wisdom is. Uh, take my glasses off here. Uh, this is Armstrong, so I'm going to be uh, quoting Armstrong and Plato and Socrates all at the same time, so I apologize for not cite the proper citations. In the symposium, Plato made Socrates describe his quest for wisdom as a love affair that grasped the seeker's entire being until he achieved an ecstatic state. This was an ascent stage by stage to a higher state of being. If the philosopher surrendered himself to an unstinting love of wisdom, that word wisdom again, he would acquire joyous knowledge of a beauty that went beyond finite beings because it was being itself. It always is and neither comes to be nor passes away, neither waxes nor wanes. It's abundant, in essence. It was not confined to one idea, 
one kind of knowledge. It is not anywhere or another thing, as in an animal or in earth or in heaven or in anything else, but itself, by itself, with itself. It is always one in form, and all other beautiful things share in such a way that when those other things come to be or pass away, this does not become the least bit smaller or greater nor suffer any change. It's abundant. It was absolute, pure, unmixed, unique, and eternal, like Brahman, like Nirvana, like God. Wisdom transformed the philosopher so that he himself enjoyed a measure of divinity. The love of the gods belongs to anyone who has given birth to true virtue and nourished it, and if any human being could become immortal, it would be he. So this pursuit of wisdom, this search for the truth, this search for beauty, this was a spiritual exercise. It wasn't just some, what's the word I'm looking for, self-congratulatory activity. And it was done with others. I'm going to stick to my uh, flow here. The point here is that in this pursuit of wisdom, one achieves an altered state of being that transforms us from finite individuals to being itself. So I try to touch on what the nature, the naturalness, the abundance, and what, what spiritual wisdom is. But what, what really I want to, the message I want to leave here with you this morning is what does it mean for us and how we live our lives? What is the implication of this idea, this core belief for us? Let me start with what it means for me, and then I'll, I don't have any problem going from I to we. <laughs> so I'll tell you what it means for me, and then I'll tell you what I think it means for all of us today. For me, this means that the unexamined life, the life of moral certainty, the life of the closed mind, the life of the shuttered heart is neither spiritual nor wise. Um, the only way we can be open to the naturally abundant spiritual wisdom in this world is to start by admitting that we know nothing. We have to start from ground zero. And I'm going to come back to quote Socrates in a minute to make this point a little bit more clearly. We have to be eager. We have to be open. We have to be anxious to discover and explore the abundant spiritual wisdom within ourselves and all around us. For us, as you use, I'm using the plural now, as Wellsprings congregants, this, this belief is empowering because it tells us that there are, and I'm going to quote Russell Conwell here, acres of diamonds, acres of spiritual diamonds right out there all around us to be harvested, to be discovered, and to be experienced right in our own backyards, right in this room. That process of discovery, I think, and I'm going to, I want to quote again from, from Armstrong and how Socrates did it, because I think it's important to hear this, how somebody did it thousands and thousands of years ago, because it speaks to us today how we need to do it for ourselves. And then I will, uh, I have a conclusion, actually. <laughs> uh, and, and in this section, she's talking about how Socrates would uh, investigate with people, would challenge them, would question them, would, would uh, ask them to re-examine their lives. 
Socrates was a living summons to the paramount duty of stringent self-examination. He described himself as a gadfly, perpetually stinging people into awareness, forcing them to wake up to themselves, question their opinion, and attend to their spiritual progress. The important thing was not the solution to a problem, but the path that people traveled to search it. That's important. To philosophize was not to bludgeon your opponent into accepting your point of view, but to do battle with yourself. At the end of this unsettling conversation with Socrates, one of his followers had a conversion, literally a turning around. And this did not mean that he accepted some new doctrinal truth. To the contrary, he had discovered that like Socrates himself, he knew nothing at all. That is the beginning of wisdom the admission that we really don't know anything. At the end of this intellectual ritual, if he had responded honestly, the initiate would have become a philosopher, somebody who realized that he lacked wisdom, longed for it, but knew that he was not who he ought to be. He had become a stranger to himself, and in this relentless search for wisdom, made a philosopher. And so that's what I think we should should be doing. We should be relentlessly pursuing and self-examining ourselves. And as I said, because we believe, as, as core to our DNA, because we believe that wisdom is abundant and natural, and we are then empowered because of that, we also have a responsibility to ourselves and to each other to investigate that, to search for that. And I'm, I'm going to finish up by quoting one of my great favorite philosophers, again, another philosopher, Uncle Ben, from Spider-Man, Peter Parker's uncle, who reminded Peter, right before he died, that with great power does come great responsibility, and that we owe it to ourselves to, to do this. And so I encourage all of you, as I hope you will encourage me, to live an examined life, um, to pursue wisdom, to pursue spiritual wisdom. I actually think they're the same thing. So thank you for your time, um, and I hope you have a great and happy and wonderful new year. Let's take a moment to pray together, if you would. God, we start this morning with gratitude for these two blossoming full lives that call us back into our own that we heard from this morning. It takes courage to speak with conviction and also in praise at times of our own not knowing that our passion, our not knowing, and our love can exist all at the same time and in fullness stands at the heart of this paradox that we call being spiritually alive. May we know that you, O Source, whatever name we give to you, knowing that our names are just our names, but presence is real. May we find you through the very organs and senses of our being. May we know you as alive and abundant and as ongoing and as unfinished and present, and here, and now. These are your attributes. 
May we strive to make them ours as well. May we become as alive and accessible as being itself. May we become as loving and as beautiful as life itself. May we become as full of grace as life itself. May we look at the stream and then, given the nature of who we are, dive in, wade in, dip a toe in and then another toe and then another toe. But the point is this, that we are all called in. It is necessary for all of us to find our stroke and our stride within that wider pool and flow of life so that life can become itself as it would. Our participation, our presence, it is never unnecessary. It is always called forth so that we can flourish and so that all beings can flourish as well. May we be alive May we be accessible, and may we be fully blessed. Amen.